there are any number of things that can happen in life that can really expose the foundation underneath our feet, our hearts, our souls. Make us feel like we're standing in less than solid ground. And God doesn't want you to have the experience of feeling like you're fragile in those situations. Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to help us catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today we're talking about the Bible, about what it is and where it came from. According to the Bible, not knowing what the Bible is and where it came from is kind of like not knowing what kind of foundation is underneath your house. A number of years ago in a city near the place where I live, there was massive flooding that took place, heavy rains, the, the river waters rose very high, and there were a number of houses along the riverbank whose foundations were washed out completely from underneath portions of the house. And so in one case, at least, a portion of the house that had been sitting on top of the ground because the ground was washed out, it fell down and didn't just stay there on the ground. It slipped down into the river and it continued to float all the way down the river because the foundation under the house wasn't very solid. Life can be like that, or at least life can feel like that. There are any number of things that can happen in life that can really expose the foundation underneath our feet, our hearts, our souls. Make us feel like we're standing in less than solid ground. And God doesn't want you to have the experience of feeling like you're fragile in those situations. He wants you to have more the experience of what happens regularly with, uh, with a house that's off the coast of New Jersey. It's called Clingstone. It was built in 1905. It's a pretty big house. It has three different stories. It has many bedrooms. It's 10,000 square feet, and it's completely surrounded by water. It's been through hurricane force winds. It's been through heavy storms. It's been through the worst that nature can throw at it. Yet it's been standing since 1905. And why has it been standing? If you look at a picture of it, you'll see that it's built on a rock that is coming up out of the water a rock that goes all the way down to the bottom. And because that house is built on the rock, it doesn't matter what kind of storm is coming through, the house is going to stay standing. And that's what the Bible says God wants to do for you with the teaching of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The winds came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. And that's what God wants to provide for you. And we'll talk about how he does provide for that as we talk about the Bible, what it is, and where it came from. And according to the Bible itself, the Bible has a very simple phrase to describe what the Bible is. In various passages in the Word of God, it's described as, just what I said, the Word of God. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, in the book of 1 Peter, that phrase is used again and again, the Word of God. And you think about the different ways that people communicate their words and get a message to you. There are lots of different ways that people do that these days. Some people use email, some people use your text message, some people use call, actually still call you on the phone. But imagine that God himself is calling you on the phone and you pick up the phone and God himself is speaking to you. That's what the Bible is. According to the Bible itself, the Bible is God himself speaking to you. The Bible is the word of God. If you want to know what God says to you, then you pick up the Bible, you open it up, and God is speaking. Now, does that mean that God is the one who actually wrote the Bible? No. 
And the Bible tells us um, exactly how that happened, that the words of the Bible were written down, even if God isn't the one who literally wrote them down. There is a passage in the book of, in the portion of the Bible called Second Peter, which is the second portion of the book that a disciple named Peter wrote, where it says that the prophecy of the Bible never had its origin in the human mind. Like, humans didn't invent what should be in the Bible. It says that people spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, picture a pencil in the hand of a student. You know, that pencil is the means that the student is using to write the message down on a piece of paper. But it's not the pencil that's responsible for the content of the message. It's the student who is holding the pencil. There were many different human individuals that God used, in a sense, as the pencil in his hand. That God was responsible for the content. He had the different thoughts that he wanted written down on the pages of the Bible. But he used different individuals throughout history as the pencil, in a sense, to write down the very message that God wanted them to write down so that God was responsible for the content and, and not just some random person who was going to say whatever they wanted to say. And the Bible gives us some insight into, into how that happened. There's a passage in the book of 2 Timothy, another, another place in the Bible, where it says that all scripture is God-breathed. And that's not a phrase we use very often. So what does that mean? Well, picture somebody who, knew, who, needs, who needs CPR, a living being that needs CPR, and they're laying on the ground, and somebody else comes up to them, and they take the breath that is inside of them, and they transfer it to the other person. They breathe into them what gives that body life and brings them back to life again. Well, that's in a sense what, what God did with all of these human writers. And in a way that only God can really understand, he breathed the thoughts and the words that he wanted communicated on the paper. He breathed it into them so that words that God wanted to communicate and the message that he wanted to communicate would be brought to life through them. God breathed the message in. And that's very comforting because it means that this is God's message. God is controlling the content. And that's what the Bible claims about itself, that this is how God chose to speak to you. He could have chosen in any number of ways, but he chose to place his words, place his thoughts down in one book. Now, let me give you some, um, some Bible buzzwords that you'll sometimes hear about this. Um, you hear the, the Bible is called the Bible, and you might wonder, well, what does the word Bible mean? Where did that come from? And you know what the word Bible means? The word Bible literally means book. <laughs> That's it. It's a very generic term that literally means book. And so the Bible is a book. The reason it's called the Bible is, of course, because it is proven to be the most significant book in the, in the, history, in the history of the world. We've also referred to the Bible as the scriptures, which is another term that you might hear from time to time when people talk about the Bible. And the word scriptures, if somebody uses that term, it simply means the writings. It refers to how different individuals wrote down all these different things that God wanted to communicate to us. Uh, so scriptures is known as the writings. There's another term that you may or may not ever hear anybody use. It's called verbal inspiration. Verbal inspiration. And what that refers to is that Bible passage that we talked about earlier, where it says that God breathed the thoughts into the human writers, that God inspired the words. He breathed them into the, their minds and into their hearts so they could write them down on the paper. That whole process is called verbal inspiration. So there are some Bible buzzwords for you, Bible, scripture, and verbal inspiration. 
Now let's talk about some of the details about the book, <laughs> about the Bible. A couple of different categories. First of all, who are the different people that God inspired, verbally inspired, to write this down? We're going to break it up and uh, break the Bible up into two different parts. The Old Testament and the New Testament. You may have heard those phrases before. So the Old Testament was written by a wide variety of people. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were all written by a man named Moses. That God told Moses what to write down, and Moses, Moses wrote it down. Other portions of the Old Testament were written by various kings. For example, King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, or King Solomon, um, who wrote uh, who wrote a lot of the, the Proverbs, which are wise, wise sayings. Uh, also, lots of prophets in the Old Testament. We'll define what that is in just a little bit as we look at some more Bible buzzwords. But uh, prophet, um, prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, all these different individuals and many more individuals who all wrote the Old Testament. Some of them knew each other. Many of them didn't know each other. But they're responsible for writing down the different portions of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the New Testament was written by uh, what we call um, evangelists and apostles. We'll define these in a little bit, but different individuals by the name of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul. In fact, um, the disciple, the apostle Paul, wins the prize for the most books written, the most parts of the uh, the Bible written compared to anybody else. He wrote 13 different books that um, that we have in the Bible, 13 different ones. Um, so that's the Old Testament and New Testament. Who was responsible for writing it? Next question about it is, is what language was it written in? Because the Bible is translated into uh, almost every language that exists right now. But it wasn't originally that way. It was only originally written down, written down in some different languages. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. Which, if you look at the Hebrew language, it looks nothing like English. In fact, we don't even read it like English. Um, instead of reading from left to right, like we do uh, with an English page, Hebrew reads from right to left. And the alphabet looks nothing like our English alphabet. And so it can look like a very difficult language to learn. Once you learn the alphabet, though, Hebrew is a very easy language to learn. Because there aren't many grammatical rules. There aren't a whole lot of words. Uh, it's, a, it's a great storytelling language. And to me, it makes sense that that's the language that God used for the Old Testament before they had the ability to mass produce different things or before they had access to a lot of paper and uh, different, ways that you could, different ways that you could copy things. The way that the Bible stories were told from generation to generation was simply that. They were told. They would, parents would sit down with their kids and they would say, let me tell you a story about a time God did this. Let me tell you about a story about a time God did that. Let me tell you a story about a time that God did that. And that's how the word of God was transferred from home to home and from community to community. People told the stories. And the Hebrew language is a very wonderful storytelling language. Uh, so simple that somebody you know, like, a, like children could very easily understand and remember what um, the stories that were being told along with the main points. And so the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament, however, was not written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in the Greek language, and Greek also looks very different from English. Greek is a language where we do read from left to right. It's very different from Hebrew in that it's a very exact language and a very difficult language. There are many, many, many words in Greek, many, many, many grammatical rules in Greek. And so it's kind of intimidating for somebody who's learning languages. It's a, it can be a very difficult language to learn. But it makes sense to me that God wanted the New Testament written in the Greek language because if there's a language that you would choose to say something where you need to say something just exactly the right way and make it crystal clear as to what you mean, Greek is the language. 
And because the New Testament contains a lot of very specific instructions about doctrine, about teachings in the Bible, about things that we ought to do and ought not to do, it makes sense to me that God would use the Greek language because the Greek language allows us to be very crystal clear in what is being said. And so the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, and they're not equally divided in the Bible. It's not like if you go take a Bible and go midway through the Bible that you're going to land at the middle point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you do that in the Bible, if you take the Bible and you go aim for the middle point, chances are you'll end up in the book of Psalms, which is, uh, which is the song book of the Bible, basically. We sometimes are asked, how many different parts does each one have? How many different books you know, um, does the Old Testament have and the New Testament have? The, uh, the Old Testament has 39, 39 books, and the New Testament has 27. And I'm going to give you a very easy way to remember how many books are in the Old Testament and how many books are in the New Testament. So let's start with the Old Testament. I want you to look at the phrase Old Testament. And I want you to think about how many letters are there in the, er, in the word old. It's three, right? <laughs> and how many letters in the word testament? It's nine. You put the three and the nine together and you get 39. The New Testament does not have 39 books, but I'm going to ask you the same thing. How many letters in the word new? It's three, again. And how many letters in the word testament? Nine. What's three times nine? Little math. I know you didn't think there would be math, but there is math. <laughs> three times nine is 27. There are 27 books in the New Testament. It's just a handy way to remember how many books are in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so a total of 66 books in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they're broken down by different types. And when we get into the next lesson on what does the Bible say, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more what's, in the, what's the content of, of, each of, those, of each of those books. Another question that people sometimes ask about the Bible is, when was it written? And we're going to answer that question in relation to the life of one person, to the life of the man named Jesus Christ. Um, most popular person, most famous person in the history of the world. Even if you don't believe in him, you are probably aware of the existence of a man named Jesus Christ. We'll talk about him in greater detail as we continue to go through these, uh, as we continue to go through these videos. But the Old Testament was written before Jesus came to earth. And the New Testament was written after Jesus came to earth and after, actually after, after he left earth. You might know that our calendar system is roughly based on when Jesus was born. The years before Jesus was born are sometimes known as uh, like 100 BC, which stands for the BC stands for before Christ. And the, year, um, the years after Christ, like the year 2000, would have been the year 2000 AD, which doesn't mean after anything. It's actually a Latin phrase, AD, Anno Dominum, which means the year of our Lord. And so it's been, the year 2000 was 2000 years, roughly, after the year the Lord Jesus was born. That's how the calendar system was set up. Now, some people didn't like that reference to before Christ and the year of our Lord as they were talking about the calendar. So you might see that referred to in some different ways, like BC and BCE. Like um, BCE is uh, before the common era, and CE, you'll sometimes see, is the common era. And so when they say BCE, they're talking about the years before Jesus was born, or those years that used to be referred to as before Jesus was born. And when it's CE, the common era, there's a like, you know, the year 2000, the year 2010, the year 1985. Um, it's really the same thing as AD. They just, they just changed the name. But the Old Testament was written before Jesus was born, and the New Testament was written 
after Jesus after Jesus left earth. And then finally, what is the basic content of both of those parts of the Bible? The basic content of the Old Testament, it's the promise that a savior was coming for the world. Somebody who was going to save the world from, from sin and from the results of death and sickness and from the work of Satan, somebody was coming. And that's what the Old Testament was. Continually saying the savior is coming, the savior is coming, the savior is coming. And that message is spoken through as it it's, as we go through the history of an Old Testament nation named the Israelites. And so really those two things make up the content of the Old Testament, the promise of the Savior and also the history of the Israelites that God used in some very special ways to bring the Savior into the world. The New Testament was a little bit different. It's the life of Jesus. So if you think of anything in the life of Jesus that you're familiar with, Jesus walking on water, Jesus raising somebody from the dead, any other miracle that he did, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus ascending into heaven, anything that Jesus himself taught, you're going to find those in four specific books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you get into the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the early history of the Christian church after Jesus went back into heaven. And then after that, you get in all sorts of personal letters that were written from different disciples and apostles to specific churches. Uh, for example, the, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, a letter called Ephesians. And that was a personal letter from Paul to his friends in the city of Ephesus, which is why it's called Ephesians. He wrote, um, there's a book called First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. Those are two different letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to his Christian friends in the city of Thessalonica. <laughs> Say that word five times fast, Thessalonica. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that's often, that's what makes up a lot of the New Testament. It's all these, all these different letters. So the New Testament, it's the life of Jesus. It's the history of the early church and it's personal letters to a lot of Christians that give us a lot of good guidance on what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus. And so with all of those different things, somebody might ask the question, well, if the Bible was written by so many different individuals over a period of about 1500 years, you know, 1400 BC to 100 AD roughly, and these people who wrote the Bible, they didn't know each other. They didn't have time to sit down and, and get their story straight and make sure that they agreed on everything. Uh, how can you be confident that the Bible really is true? That it's like, what are the chances that it, you know, that it all fits together? I'm going to show you a picture here. I want you to look at this picture. Okay, and I'm going to take the picture away. Do you think if I gave you a piece of paper right now, you would be able to draw that picture exactly the way that it was? Like, would all the details be exactly the same? Uh, for example, do you remember what the license plate said? Or what color were the headlights? Or how many windshield wipers did it have? Or did it have a roof on it? Or, or was, it was it a convertible? How many, uh, how many exhaust pipes were coming out of it? What color were the rims on the wheels? Well, would you get all the details right just by looking at just by looking at it once? And if I asked you and another person to both draw a picture of that same picture, do you think both of your pictures would agree? Do you think you would both have all the details correct? Probably not. And that's with you both seeing the same picture and both looking at it in the same way and both being able to write it down even immediately after you saw it. You wouldn't, uh, your pictures wouldn't agree and your picture probably would not be entirely accurate. But consider this about the Bible. When you read through the Bible, there are no inconsistencies. You know, like if the Bible teaches a specific doctrine in one place, there's not another place where you can find the opposite teaching. 
There are no inconsistencies. And it doesn't matter which book it's in. If it's something in the Old Testament versus something in the New Testament, um, there are still no inconsistencies. If Moses wrote something and the Apostle Paul wrote about the same thing, even though they never met each other while they were on earth, they're never inconsistent. They never contradict each other. And that's the case throughout the entire Bible. In fact, I would challenge you to find a contradiction in the Bible that proves that the Bible is inaccurate in some way, that it doesn't agree with itself. I'm challenging you to that because I don't, I don't think you'll find one. There are some questions that we have about the Bible. There are some things that we don't know the answers to, but there are no places where you can definitively say, that's an inconsistency. You know, it says one thing here and it says the exact opposite here and there's no way to reconcile that. And when you consider that that's true for a, a book that was written by dozens of different people over the course of 1,500 years by individuals who never knew each other, who never had time to sit down and get their story straight, the only explanation for that is that one source was controlling all the content for the entire thing, which of course is exactly what the Bible says about itself, that God is the one who was controlling the content for the entire thing. God used all these different men as the pencil in his hand to get his message down on paper and that there are no inconsistencies means that you can rely on it. Like it's true. Everything that he says in the Bible is absolutely true. That's a, that's a truth that Jesus himself expressed in the book of John when he's talking to his disciples. When, or he's, uh, he's praying about his disciples to his heavenly father. And he says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. He says, your word is truth. And you know why that's a big deal? Because you've probably been lied to over the course of your life. Because you probably know somebody who promised you something, something really good, only to go back on that promise and hurt you in the process. Promises have been broken. Lies have been told. And you're the one who has to suffer the hurt from all those things. And God doesn't want that to happen when it comes to his word and his promises. He wants you to know that everything he promises is absolutely true. Everything he, that he says will happen absolutely will, even if you can't see it happening, which is often the case in our lives. And we'll talk about why that's a difficult thing, but also why that's a wonderful thing as we continue on in, in these videos. But just consider some of the promises then that, that you get to believe, that you know are true. The Bible says that God's angels are protecting you. They're watching over you. And not just you, but all the people you love. Even if you can't keep your eyes on them all the time, God's angels are watching over them. And always and always with the greatest love. The Bible promises that God doesn't hold your sins against you. We'll go into much deeper depth as we continue through these videos on, on that particular topic, but God doesn't hold your sins against you. He forgives you. If you're somebody who's oppressed, if you're the victim of somebody else's unloving actions, God is watching out for you. It doesn't mean that your life will be easy, but it means that God will make sure that you'll still have everything you need somehow and that you'll still get, you'll still get to be with him. And it's not going to get the best of you. The Bible, the Bible promises that you're never alone. That God himself chooses to walk with you through life, through absolutely everything. 
And there are so many more promises that the Bible gives. We could spend, <laughs> we could spend hours and hours and hours just going through all of them, but they're all good. They're all good. And they're especially good because they're true. God wants you to know that you can trust him. He's not lying when he says that he loves you, that he's there for you, that he forgives you. The promises are true. Let's tackle a few more Bible buzzwords before we uh, before we get to the tail end of this and and wrap it up just for today. But a couple of different a uh, couple of different words that you will hear related to the Bible. Uh, some related to the individuals who wrote the Bible. For an example, in uh, an evangelist is something that you might hear. An evangelist is somebody very simply who writes the account of Jesus' life. And so there are by that definition there are just just a handful of evangelists: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books are the four books in which you write and find the accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels. Um, it's the uh, the good news. The word gospel means good news. We'll come back to that again at some point. But the word, it's the gospel. Uh, they're the good news of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done for you. But an evangelist is somebody who writes down that good news specifically about Jesus' life. The, uh, you might hear the term apostle. An apostle is somebody who was sent out specifically by Jesus. So Jesus is the one who said, I want you to go out and teach people the word of God. Jesus is the one who asked them to do that, who told them to do that. They are an apostle. Uh, an apostle. Uh, we used the word testament before, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever thought about what the word testament means, but it, uh, the word testament literally means promise. And so the Old Testament is God's promise back in the old days, which, is, which are still good promises. But it was the promise of the Savior. And the New Testament is... Um, it's also God's promise. God's promises kept in Christ. God's new promises for us to live with. And of course, they all go together so well, all focused on Jesus, but, but they are promises. And then finally, a prophet. A prophet is very simply somebody who speaks the word of God to God's people. And there are various prophets throughout history. Many of them show up in the Old Testament when it comes to the Bible, uh, but that was a prophet. There are a couple other Bible buzzwords about this Bible. And because the Bible is the word of God, and because God takes his word very, very seriously, because God wants us to know that the entire thing is truth, there is one very clear instruction that the Bible gives us about how we ought to use the Bible. Don't add anything to it, and don't subtract anything from it. This is God's word. He's the one who is in control of the content. It's his content. It's his message. And so if it's his message, we don't have the right to add anything to it or to subtract anything from it. And we get that basic concept. If you're into baking and you have a recipe that calls for two cups of flour and a teaspoon of sugar. If you follow the recipe, it's going to turn out exactly the way it's supposed to. But if you mix those two things up, if you put in two cups of sugar and one teaspoon of flour, I think you know um, <laughs> that's going to turn out to be a little bit sweeter than it's supposed to be. And I don't know if, I don't know if you'll like it. It might even upset your stomach. Uh, but if you get the recipe wrong, if you use the ingredients incorrectly, it's not going to produce the, same, produce the same results. And the same is true of the Bible. If you start adding things to the Bible, saying, I think God should have said this, or if you start taking things away from the Bible, saying, I, I didn't like it that God said this, then it's no longer God's word, and it becomes your word or somebody else's word. But it's God's word. That's what the Bible says about itself. God is responsible for the content. And God makes a very sweet promise I want to end on today. It's related to what happens when you use the word. In Psalm 1, so the first psalm, 
Remember, Psalm is the uh, kind of the middle point in the Bible, at least when you when you divide it up just by pages. If you go to the first Psalm, it says that uh, anybody those those who delight in the Word of God, those who delight in reading it and filling themselves up with it, it compares you to uh, to a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and it says, "Whatever you do, prospers." And so, just picture a tree by a stream of water whose roots are going into that water and are being fed, are soaking up all the good things that the water and the soil are giving it regularly. There's never a dry season. It's always, it always has enough. It always gets what it, get what it's, what it needs. You know what that tree is going to look like as it grows. It's going to grow healthy. And you also know what a tree looks like whose roots are not connected to water, whose roots are not in good soil. That tree will eventually die. Well, God doesn't want you to go through life feeling like your heart has died. God wants you to go through life feeling like, well, you have life and the best kind of life, life in your heart, life in your soul, a purpose in your life. And he promises that when you open up the word and when you spend time regularly in it, just as regularly as the tree's roots are soaking up the water, you will prosper. You will prosper. In other words, God will take care of you. He takes full responsibility for the outcome of your life. And it's good because he loves you. That's the truth related to what the Bible is and where it came from. Remember that house that I talked about early on? The Clingstone, the one built in 1905, the one that sits out in the ocean? An interesting fact about that house is in the 1960s, it was once sold for the uh, price of $3,600. $3,600, that's, that's not a lot. You, you can't even get a week in that house for $3,600 nowadays if you wanted to vacation there. Uh, but you had, to, you had to pay. That wasn't a big price to pay, but you still had to pay in order to get the house. Everything that God wants to give you, everything that his word is, everything that it teaches, everything that it, that it fills you with, all the prosperous promises that he gives you, no charge. He gives it to you for free. And we'll see again and again and again as we continue to spend time together in these videos. But that's what God does regularly. His best gifts he gives very freely. Next time, we'll spend a little bit more time talking about, um, about what the Bible teaches. Uh, what, does, what does it say? What are the main messages? But, um, but until then, Breathe easy, my friends. God loves you.